The reading this morning, our text is from Joshua 1. Uh, We'll be beginning in verse 10. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to that passage. As you are still standing, let me read this passage over us this morning. And the Word of the Lord says this, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go into take possession of the land that the Lord God, Lord your God, is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land, your wives, Your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor shall among among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you should return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses." Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat, and as you go to your seat, let me pray. Father, we uh, are grateful for your word as we, as we are able to open it. And Spirit, as you are giving us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand. And so I pray that you would... Uh, through our study of this text in the book of Joshua, have us to know you more. Have us to see you with a, a different lens. Have us to understand what you are doing in our lives, your glory, your honor. Everything that is about you is worthy of worship and exaltation. And so we, we pray that our hearts would be attuned to you in worship pray that you would guard my mouth. I pray that you would help me, Spirit, to communicate your living and active word and that it would greatly enrich us, it would encourage us, and it would stir our hearts to love you all the more. And we know we can only love you because you love us first. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like for you to imagine with me for a minute that uh, you are a member of one of the fastest growing evangelical churches in America. And in this church, uh, professions of faith are being made every week. Uh, The baptismal waters are constantly being stirred. Uh, Churches are being planted. Missionaries are being sent out. Uh, At this church, uh, you are greatly encouraged because you are seeing long hidden sin be brought to the light. The preacher of this church is a a once-in-a-generation communicator. And as time goes on, although you've been encouraged at what you are seeing in the church at large, you begin to hear stories from behind the scenes that this preacher, your, your lead pastor, 
is very harsh with his words in private meetings. He, he has a reputation of dressing down staff members that he disagrees with. Eventually, one Sunday, another elder stands up in a Sunday service and announces that that pastor has been removed for having a quarrelsome spirit and refusing to confess and acknowledge his sin. The church is rocked and within a few months shuts its doors. And you're left stunned and bewildered. Now, imagine with me another scenario. Imagine that you are a young seminary student and you have a desire to go into vocational ministry. Your, your close friend and mentor is a pastor and he hires you onto a church staff. The first couple of years of ministry are fast and furious. There's a lot to do, a lot going on. Your friend, your pastor, is a great communicator, but behind the scenes, you begin to see yellow and red flags. The church is, is growing quickly, so you overlook these flags as just personality quirks. But everything comes crashing down one day when you discover grievous hidden sin that is against you and disqualifies your pastor. Your life is turned upside down and the church that you love is now suddenly in crisis. Now, I wish that these stories were fictional, but you know that they are not. In fact, many of you are part of stories like these. Many of you, many of you are quite aware that these stories are based, sadly, on reality. And the lack of trust from this kind of church leadership creates years and years of consequences. It breeds distrust. It breeds disunity in the churches. Uh, it can be the start of someone walking away from their faith. And overall, stories like these have contributed to the institutional leadership crisis that, that the world certainly experiences, but even the church has begun to experience as well. Now, why, why am I talking about any of this? Why even mentioned, mention this type of leadership failure? Well, hopefully what we want to talk about today and what we will see in this passage in Joshua 1 is that we see Joshua called by God to lead the people of Israel in a godly manner. He is a God-appointed leader that has the trust of the people. We just heard that. They, they all trust Joshua, and they, have, they are proclaiming and vowing to obey everything that he is commanding them. He has the trust of the people and their submission. They're all unified. They're all on the same page. And this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing, but we know that sin can wreck this type of unity in God's church. It can wreck unity both with the body and her leadership, and it could wreck unity from within the body as well. So my hope this morning for us is to see how the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, redeems unity in the church as God's leaders truly operate according to his word. As God's leaders truly follow the Lord and lead as Christ leads, then we can see the redemption of this type of leadership and the unity that it can bring to the church. 
So we began last week this study in Joshua. So this is week number two. Uh, We've named our series Loyal to His Word. Uh, This is God. He is the loyal God. He is not only the promise-making God, but he is surely the promise-fulfilling God. He is bringing the Israelites into a land that he has promised them long ago. He, back way back in the early parts of Genesis, first told Abraham that this was the plan, that his desire, God's desire, has always been to have a people with his presence in a particular place. That's always been God's desire. And so, that moment has arrived here in the book of Joshua. Uh, the people are on the banks of the Jordan River. They are on the precipice. They are about to, as we continue in this book, move beyond the Jordan into the land of Canaan. The people have been brought out of slavery. slavery. They've been saved from slavery in Egypt and are now being saved into the land of Canaan. And so we, as God's people today, uh, can learn much from this. And this has much for us because we know that God has fulfilled all of his promises in Jesus Christ. All God's promises have their yes in Jesus. We have been saved from the slavery of our own sin, and we have been saved into eternal life with him. So we are being transformed in the process as we see that movement from uh, being ransomed out of slavery to our own sin, the, the being under the dominion of sin, but now being saved into his kingdom of eternal life. We're being transformed. And so this is how we are wanting to put it as we study the book of Joshua over the next several weeks, is that we become people of truth, hope, and steadfastness because God's promises never fail. That's, that's who we become. That's who we want to become here at City Church. And the only reason that we can become any of those things is because God's promises never fail. We have him, Jesus. Now, chapter one, as we looked at last week, uh, opens up with God uh, doing all of the talking. God uh, commanding Joshua, charging Joshua to be the leader. Uh, He's appointing him as, after Moses dies, the leader of the people of Israel to take them into this promised land. And we read last week that he would never leave or forsake Joshua. He reminded Joshua that his success and the success of the people is centered around their obedience to do all that is written in God's law. We talked a lot about that last week, that the successful life for the people of God is centered around obedience. And the only way that we can be obedient to God is because God is with us and empowers us to do so. And so now here in the second half of chapter one, we, do, or we see a little bit of a shift, and that is Joshua is the one doing the speaking. Joshua is addressing the people And then at the end of this passage, starting in verse 16, we see the people's response to what Joshua has said. Now, 
Before we get into the heart of the message this morning, we, we need to do a little bit of work because as you were uh, listening to this passage being read, you might have a few questions about what's going on with some of these tribes of Israel that were mentioned and different lands that are mentioned. So let me, let me explain a little bit about what's going on. There are uh, 12 tribes of Israel, but what we see in this passage is that two and a half of them, so we have the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of of Manasseh. There, something different is going on with these two and a half tribes that's, an, that's important. If you go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 32, uh, this is where we read an account of these two and a half tribes of Israel that decide they actually want to settle in the land that's east of the Jordan River instead of going into the land of Canaan. And the reason that's given back in Numbers is that they think the land that they're in east of the Jordan is a little bit more conducive for their livestock. It's better land for their cattle. Now, if you read Numbers 32, Moses is not very thrilled about this. You can imagine that he's not thrilled because uh, this, this was the promise made to all of God's people that he was going to bring them into the promised land. But now, these two and a half tribes want to settle here. And the concern is that they are going to abandon the rest of Israel. So the, the other tribes uh, are going to be abandoned by these two and a half tribes. That's the fear. But the, the tribe of Gad and Reuben and the half tribe of Manasseh tell Moses, no, 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 we will help. We will help the men. We will cross over the Jordan and help the rest of our brothers take that land. And so in this passage, this is what Joshua is reminding them of, of exactly what, what was said back in Numbers 32. He's reminding them that, look, you, tribe of Gad, tribe of Reuben, and half-tribe of Manasseh, this, this is what was said to you, that the Lord would give you this land east of the Jordan only if your men of valor pass over the Jordan with the rest of the brothers to help them. And then after your brothers take possession of the promised land, west of the Jordan, then you can come back here to the east and rest. So that's what's going on here. That's the context that Joshua is speaking to these certain tribes. But then what we see at the end of this passage is that all the tribes, so all 12, the two and a half that are staying east and the others that are going west, all of them are unified and agree to do all that Joshua has commanded. They all agree. They're all on the same page. And that is, in this passage, the issue at hand. It's the unity of God's people. It's the unity of Israel. The people's response of what God is calling them to do. And it's, in this passage, what God is calling them to do through this new leader. This is a new leader. They have been under the leadership of Moses for years, and now God has appointed a new leader in Joshua. And so as we begin to dive in, that is the context. And so let me give you the main idea for the message this morning. Again, if you're taking notes, if you want to take notes on the handout that you got as you came in, you'll see that the main idea this morning is godly leadership brings unity. Godly leadership brings unity. As Israel prepares to pass over, a godly leader has been entrusted to them. He's been established to bring unity to the people. 
And again, this is, this is an incredible picture, is it not? This is such a beautiful picture of unity, of one-mindedness, of single-hearted devotion. But as I said earlier, we know because of the sinful hearts, we know because of the depravity of man, that this can be wrecked in an instant. But for our time today, what an encouragement to see that true unity is possible when godly leadership is in place. So Joshua, as their God-appointed commander and leader, has been found faithful for many years at this point. So even though uh, Joshua is a new leader, he's not new to them. He's not new as a person to these people of Israel. They've been around him for a long time. And what we see him doing, what we see Joshua doing in this passage is taking the words of the Lord and recounting those words to the Israelites. So what we see is that Joshua is steeped in God's law. Joshua is a man of the word. He meditates on it day and night, and God is with him. God is with him just like God was with Moses. All of this uh, shapes Joshua's character, gives the people assurance and confidence to submit to his leadership. The people have had an opportunity, some of them for all of their lives, because this, as we mentioned last week, is the new generation of Israelites that are going into the promised land. And Joshua has been around uh, since they were children. So it's very likely that many of these people have known Joshua most, if not all, of their life. And so they've been able to observe Joshua. They've been able to see his faithfulness. Obviously, it's most important that God is the one that has recognized uh, that Joshua is the one that he wants to appoint as leader. But it's also incredibly important that the people have been able to observe Joshua's life for many, many years. And they have faith in God through God's appointing Joshua. And we're going to continue as we see throughout the rest of this book that Joshua will have great success as he leads the people over the Jordan and as they fight battles in the land of Canaan, that he will have significant leadership. But it's because of his devotion to Yahweh. It's his, it's his faithfulness, birthed out of God's faithfulness to him, that makes him such a strong leader. Despite the failure of so many church leaders and pastors, those that have been spiritually abused, biblically qualified, and biblically informed leadership in the church is not something that we should abandon. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that with, without a sincere acknowledgement that there has been much hurt and much pain. There's been a great deal of institutional harm that the church has participated in over the years. Some of you have been hurt by this. Some of you are possibly even seeking your own healing in the midst of this, in the midst of your past, in in the midst of your experience with dysfunctional leadership in the church. But we should not give up on authority in the church because we, we understand that it's the grace of God that has given his people human authority to speak his words. We should understand that it's the grace 
that God has given to his people through human authority, not apart from it. That God's grace works through structures in the church, not, not despite it. And we don't throw it away, even though as we acknowledge the own hurt that we have. So let me, let me speak for a couple of minutes about the office of pastor and elder. The role that Chris, Andrew, and I have is a weighty one. God gives to his church her leaders. It's God who gives gifts. And, and we see in scripture the similarities of the role of elder and, and what Joshua is doing here. It's not one-to-one. Uh, I'm not a commander of an army by any stretch. You certainly don't want that. But elders or pastors are, are men of prayer and of the word. We're called to be men of prayer and of the word, communing with God through careful study and obedience to his word. As Joshua here in this passage is recounting the word of God to the Israelites, that's the goal of preaching and teaching. The goal of what I'm doing right now is to recount the words of God to you, to remind you of what God has said and how it is a call to action for us. Here is what God has said, therefore let us go and do. In Numbers 27, back in the book of Numbers, uh, Joshua is said to have the Spirit of God in him. And Moses actually lays hands on Joshua in Numbers 27 to acknowledge that this is the man being set apart by God to lead the people of God after Moses dies. And as a man appointed by the Lord for such a role and task as this, what you're going to notice, if you read through any of the book of Numbers or of Deuteronomy, and now certainly in the book of Joshua, you're not going to uh, see that God appoints Joshua because he's especially talented militarily. Uh, we're not going to see that he has tremendous organizational skills. But what we will see is that he's a faithful man. Faithfulness to Yahweh, and that's what's being recognized. When we look at the qualifications for an elder in the New Testament, most, most all of them are character qualities. If you look at the, uh, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will see sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle these are, the, these are the qualifications of an elder pastor. There's one explicit ability mentioned, and that is the ability to teach. But everything else is a character quality. Godly leaders throughout history have the character of Jesus Christ as evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. God with us as we abide in Christ and bear fruit of the Spirit. Now what is what has hurt so many in the church is when a pastor or leader was thought to have the character of Christ, who appeared to be qualified for ministry, but in reality was walking in unrepentant sin, was being protected by other leaders despite red flags, or even worse, was living a secret, double, sinful life. When this happens in God's church, it's heartbreaking and the consequences are far-reaching. It's important 
that a leadership team have a healthy culture of accountability. That's, that's what we desire as elders here at City Church. That's what our leadership team desires is that we have a healthy culture of accountability. Now, sadly, there is nothing that man can do if, if someone wants to hide sin. We know that if someone is grieving the spirit and walking away and, and in rep, unrepentant sin and wants to hide that, there is nothing magical that I can say or that you can say to bring that into the light. That is only the work of the Holy Spirit. But what we can do and what we desire to do uh, as elders and then I would say as the people of God who also want to have a healthy culture of accountability is that we can make it harder for people to hide. We can make it harder for people to withhold and not confess their sin. I'm I'm accountable to the other men who are in this office. I'm accountable to Andrew and Chris. And we want to continue to grow in this culture of having the, the, the ethos of confession and repentance. We want to be able to acknowledge where we fall short, confess that sin, and, and desire to walk in repentance and hold each other accountable. So my plea to you is that as you pray for us, as you pray for me, as you pray for Andrew, as you pray for Chris, and as you pray for other men who become elders at City Church, that you would let that be a main feature of your prayers. That we would be men who are quick to confess our sin and walk in the light together. I'm also accountable to you. As one of your elders, I'm accountable to the body. I want you to be able to observe my Monday through Saturday life. I don't want you just to know me uh, in, in this moment now where I'm up on stage preaching the word. This is, this is the most important task that I am called to, but yet Monday through Saturday, I want you to know my character. I want you to see if it aligns with what Christ has given as qualifications for a leader of his bride. And we also want, the elders want City Church to be a safe place for you to share your heart with us. We want this to be a safe place for you to communicate struggles and sins. We want this to be a place where you feel free to come to any of us. God forbid if this ever becomes a culture where any of us are lording it over you. Where we are taking advantage of the sheep See, the unity of the body includes the unity with godly leaders. Joshua was leading the people, but he was also shown to be unified with them. Jesus is the head of the church, and the head has integrity with the body. Do you know what I mean when I say that? That the head has integrity with the body? The opposite of integrity, as I'm using it, is disintegration. But Jesus is the head. And as under-shepherds, we represent him. We represent him as the chief shepherd, as the chief good shepherd. And our desire is to be found faithful to lead as as Christ leads. And Christ leads his body in and with integrity Integrity with the body and in the body. And that leads to unity. That leads to the body operating with the head in unison, in unity.
one body with many members. And that's our prayer. It's our prayer as City Church. And so if we return to this main idea, this idea that godly leadership brings unity, then I want to spend the rest of our time looking at this unified response of the people beginning in verse 16. And so here is the response in in a sentence. It was a unity to go and a unity to do. A unity to go, a unity to do. Certainly there was opportunity for the, this, these two and a half tribes of Israel that we were talking about, you could see the opportunity immediately that they could have said, no, we're here. We don't want to go. We don't want to cross the Jordan River and go into this land. We're already where we want to be, and so we're going to stay. They could have refused to go across and help their brothers. But you, you can imagine the, the significant division that would have caused in Israel the sin of disobedience, the, the sin of not keeping your word as God has commanded. You can imagine the disunity and the division that would have sowed in the people of Israel. But thankfully, they have an encouraging response. And they say they will obey God through Moses and now through Joshua as one unified people. Look again at verse 16. It says, And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Unity to go and to do. Let's let's first take that that first one, the unity to go. What do we mean by that? Well, Joshua is commanding the people to get ready to go. This is kind of the the scene before they, they go into the Jordan River. And he's saying it's time. He's telling the, the commander of the army and the, and the military officers, get your people ready. They've been called on a mission. God is sending his people to go into the land. And maybe this language sounds familiar to us, and it should, because Jesus says something very similar in the Gospel of Matthew. At the end of Matthew in 28, verses 18 to 20, and This is probably a familiar passage to you. This is what's known as the Great Commission. Listen to what Jesus says in this passage in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So under the lordship of Jesus Christ, his unified disciples go. They go. And this is the church's call today. We're called to go. Called to go into our workplaces, uh, go into our families, into our neighborhoods. We're called to go into the city Maybe we're, some of us are even called to go to a different state or maybe a different country altogether to see the kingdom of God expand in and to all the nations. We're called to go. What does that mean for us here at City Church? One thing it, it means is that we definitely have a desire to grow in having evangelism conversations on a more regular basis. We are wanting to go with the gospel and share with the lost what God has done in our lives. 
We want to share the good gospel of Jesus Christ. God called Israel to go into this particular land he was giving to them and to the church. He has given all of the earth. He has given all the earth so that the earth might see his name be made renowned. Maybe one step of of this go for us, City Church, is simply taking that step to invite someone to sing coming up at the end of the month. We've mentioned this before here a couple weeks ago and wanting more and more that event, which is going to be this month on January 25th on a Wednesday evening, that that would be a place where you would invite lost neighbors, non-believing friends, that that could be a space where we go and we share the good news and we say, come with me and and hear, the, hear songs being sung to God. Hear the good news. That might be one step of obedience that God is calling us to go. We also see here in Joshua 1 the unity to do. To go and to do. Israel says to Joshua, all that you commanded we will do. They say they, they will obey him just as they obeyed Moses. Now, given, given the authority crisis that I was just talking about, this idea of obeying everything that a human leader commands might seem extreme. This might rub up against our sensibilities that who in the right mind would, would do everything that has been commanded of them. Hebrews 13, 17 says to the church, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now, as one of your leaders your, your obedience is, is not about me. It's not about what I think. It's not anything in me at all. This, this obedience is a call to submit to God. This is a call to submit to God himself through the leaders of the church. This is the weightiness. This is the weightiness of leading God's people that your pastors feel. This is the weightiness that surely Joshua felt in this moment. A unified people will be compelled to obey God. What a moment. What a moment. This is such a moment in the history of God's people that they would say, all that you commanded us, we will do. You even see the incredible accountability that's built in with the people of Israel in this text. You see there at the very end that uh, there are significant consequences if someone disobeys the commands. And we were going to uh, see this later in the book of Joshua. There's going to be a particular story that shows this explicitly when one uh, one of the men of Israel sins grievously. And that there's consequences for that sin. And so as we talked about last week, we are to be a people that uh, should be careful to do all that God has commanded. We want a culture of doers of the word of God here at City Church. We want to be doers of God's word. Not only hearers of God's word, but doers. Now, I, I never want to say we're doers of God's word without a reminder the, the precious reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that we will fail at many, many points, that we will always fall short of perfection. 
So being doers of God's word should also mean that we have a culture of confession and repentance, that we would hold one another accountable. As I mentioned earlier, as elders, we want to hold one another accountable as the body. We hold one another accountable to be doers when we have failed to do so, but that we can point each other not not to do better, not to condemnation, but that we can point one another to the incredible grace of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and the gift of repentance that allows us to turn back to him in obedience. Maybe you've heard, be a doer of God's word. Maybe you know God's word, and even this week you have failed to do God's word. And maybe this is a failure that has happened over and over again. Brother or sister, there is grace for you. There's immense grace from our Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross for your sins, who perfectly obeyed God's word because he knew you and I could never do such thing because we were born as sinners. And yet in his perfection, he climbed up on a cross to die for us. The mercy and grace of Jesus Christ is for you. So let me ask you, as we think about developing this culture of confession and repentance here at City Church, who has God given you to walk alongside in this manner? Whoever comes to mind when I ask that question is an occasion to thank God for such a gift in your life. And if no one comes to mind right now, if no one comes to the front of your mind as someone that you can confess sin to, it's an occasion to pray. We pray that there would be brothers and sisters that you can confess and confide in. And we can ask God to bring and deepen friendships and for them to be a place where we can be doer, doers of God's word. We can be doers of God's word together as we confess our sins and struggle and encourage one another to walk in the newness of life that the cross of Christ affords us. Godly leaders lead with the character of Christ and lay the framework for the church, for church unity, for church unity to go and to do. And we know his commands to go and to do are not burdensome. We see that in 1 John. They're not burdensome. The yoke of Jesus is light. Again, God is never going to ask us to go anywhere or do anything without him. He said that right here in Joshua 1. He said it in the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He will be with us to the end of the age. So do we trust him? Do we trust him to keep those promises? We know that the Son of Man obeyed his call to go. When God the Father said, go, Jesus went. He left heaven to go to the world he created to become one of us. Jesus also obeyed his call to do. The call to do, to obey God perfectly. He also knew that he was pioneering our salvation, our deliverance from sin and into life with him. Death on a cross and resurrection from the grave. And he's still leading today. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is, is leading. And as he leads, he's giving the church imperfect leaders, 
imperfect men and women. But the church has been given the authority of Jesus Christ to proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. And our experience with, with church hurt and the world at large with all of its yelling and lies those things are going to testify that this type of authority in and of itself is the problem. That's the message that we will want to believe. It's that this type of authority that's set up in the church is the problem. It's an affront to the God of being true to yourself and to anyone who exercises authority over you. It is, it is an anathema. It's bound to be wicked. And this person is bound to be a hypocrite. God help us as pastors to lead, but only with the character and conviction of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief shepherd and lead pastor of City Church, and we know he is leading us home. And so he is with you. If you have been suffering in the midst of dysfunctional leadership of a church that you previously were at. You know that Jesus moves towards you and hears your story. And he desires for you to know him. And he desires for you to be in a place where his leadership is displayed in the imperfect men that he has set up in this position. And God, help us to have unity to go and do to submit to God, godly leadership that proclaims what God has proclaimed. Now, as we close, uh, as we close out this morning, I love what the people of God say at the very end of this passage in verse 18. Because I, in many ways, think this, this is a beautiful picture of the unity that is being realized in this passage. That the people of God are led to say back to Joshua the very thing that God had said to him. It's a beautiful circle. God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then we see the people of God speak that back to Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. And it's only by the work of the Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ that we can be so. Let's pray. Father, we are desirous to be strong and courageous, but we know that we can only be those things because of you and your strength and your courage, Jesus, to leave heaven and come to earth, to be subjected to all of the afflictions of life on earth, of the brokenness of humanity, being sinned against at every turn, being abused, being spat upon, being betrayed, and all the while being perfectly obedient to the word of God. That you kept your mind on the things of your Father at all times. And in doing so, we're obedient all the way to a cross because you love us. You gave your life for us, sinners, that we might be reconciled to you. That we might be adopted, as we heard earlier, as uh, being orphans, now being adopted into a glorious family with the good Father. And you, in your resurrection, has brought, have brought us new life. And so we walk in newness of life. I pray for 
leadership here at City Church. I pray for myself, I pray for Andrew and Chris and all of our leaders of all of our ministries that we would be men and women who desire to follow after you with our whole hearts. We know that you will never forsake or leave your people. And may we image the great character of Jesus Christ, the gentle and lowly one. But may we speak with confidence over his kingship and lordship that is ruling and reigning today and we'll, we'll see that consummated in your kingdom one day when we see you with our own eyes. And may we, may we have unity as a people to go and do. Wherever you have called us to go, may we go. Whatever you have called us to do, may we do. May we be obedient out of love that we know you first had for us. We love you and it's in Christ we pray these things. Amen.